Well, welcome once again. Uh, just as a, a quick reminder, there is no children's church the last day of the month. We encourage parents uh, to help your kids that go to children's church uh, reinforce the things they're learning there, which is all the sort of parts of worship, how to sing, how to, how to pray, how to, how to listen uh, well. So I encourage you as you sit next to your child in worship today uh, to encourage them in those ways. Uh, we have a few announcements. Uh, just want to, again, welcome anybody who is new here this morning. I want to tell you that we're glad that you're here and that we ask you to stick around afterward. Get to know us. We want to get to know you. There's uh, coffee and refreshments. There's also, uh, as you're walking in, there's a table that has some clipboards that we want you to fill out some information uh, from, uh, to, to let us know who you are. And I encourage those who are regular attenders here, anybody who's been here even a couple weeks, maybe that's, I don't know if that's a... Maybe a couple more than a couple weeks. Reach out to the person next to you. Just talk to them. Get to know them. Uh, especially if it's somebody you don't recognize or don't know. Uh, just uh, want to greet everyone that you can. Uh, a couple announcements. Um, we do have a Reformation Day service. It's a celebration of the work that God did uh, some 500 years ago, right? Uh, and we celebrate this every year as a, as a local group of churches. Uh, we're part of the Presbyterian Church in America, but our little presbytery here in uh, southern New England uh, gathers, at least part of us gathers uh, together. And so we're going to do this at the Presbyterian Church of Coventry. Uh, the, the location is in your bulletin. Uh, and, you know, it's good to be reminded that we're part of a larger body, uh, that this is not the church, CCPC, but that we're part of... Uh, Christ Church, uh, which is manifested all over the world uh, and here in Connecticut as well. And so uh, we can worship together. Uh, it's, a, it's a great pleasure and joy. So I encourage you to come out tonight, 6 p.m., Presbyterian Church of Coventry. Uh, just to also a reminder, there is uh, the, a Preswick. Uh, again, we're part of this Presbytery, and the women of the church um, host a luncheon every year in the fall, and they are having this on November the 3rd. That's a, in a, next Saturday from 10 to 2 p.m., uh, and, and I can speak very proudly. My mom's going to be speaking at this. So I encourage you to go because it's important to listen to your mother. It's important. <laughs> she's not your mom, but I, she's important. It would be good. It would be encouraging to you to go and, and, and to and to. In, be encouraged uh, in the Lord with these women. Uh, is there sign-ups? They need to RSVP by today. Okay, and how do they do that? I don't see it. Talk to Erin afterward about RSVPing. If you haven't signed up or you're interested in going, she will, she will make sure that information gets passed on or give you the way to pass it on. And you can still go, even if you didn't sign up. So if it come, comes to next Saturday, you're like, oh, I really want to go, and you haven't signed up, just, but please, if you can. There you go. Um, all right. Uh, also, just as by way of reminder, we are having starting an inquirer's class on November uh, the 4th, so next Sunday, and it'll be the Sunday the 4th, Sunday the 11th, and Sunday the 25th. Uh, I highly encourage you, if you are not a member, if you're a regular attender, um, come to the class. Uh, even if you're uncertain about joining the church, this is a way to get to know the church and understand what membership is all about. And it's an opportunity uh, for you also to get to know other people if you're new to the church. Uh, so I just highly encourage you to come out to that. It's going to be at our house um, 
uh, from 2 to 4 p.m. On, uh, so it gives you a chance to kind of settle after church, get food, and then come over to our house in Bloomfield. Um, so, uh, again, those three Sundays upcoming. And I think that is all the announcements. Am I missing any? Oh, our Wednesday group is not meeting on Wednesday. Um, a little thing my kids go out and do on this time of year. Um, they like candy. We go out. So we're going to be gone. Uh, no community group this Wednesday. All right. Are there any other announcements that I'm missing? Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, glorious things of you are spoken. Uh, You, God who reigns in Zion. You, who created by fiat, by the very declaration, let there be. You, who by your eternal word brought forth life. You redeemed a people for yourself. Lord, we give you all praise and honor and glory. And we come to you, the living God, our Redeemer, uh, as a broken people, as a, as a messy people, as your creatures uh, who are frail and as sinners who, who need salvation. Uh, and we live in a world that is broken and messy. And so, Lord, we come before you humbly asking for things. And Lord, even today, we grieve at the brokenness of our world. We read the news and we hear of tragedies and some tragedies are closer to home than others. And as I think back to my time in Pittsburgh, I know the place where this most recent killing has happened and I grieve. Uh, Lord, we ask that this wickedness and this evil that in your divine and inscrutable inscrutable wisdom that you would somehow take this wicked act and turn it for good. Lord, I pray for uh, my Christian friends that are there that they might bear witness to the gospel, to the hope of Christ uh, in a grieving community. I pray for those who have lost loved ones, that you draw near to them, that you would reveal yourself as the Messiah, as the Savior. Lord, and we pray for our nation. Uh, It seems like this sort of thing happens at such a regular clip that we have trouble making sense of it. We've become numb to it. We don't understand it. Lord, show us our brokenness as a nation and our desperate need for your grace, for your mercy, for the saving power of Christ. And Lord, I pray for uh, our community here. Uh, we're at a very heated time as a nation, but also in our, our local government as, as we ramp up to elections. Lord, um, you're the one who puts princes in their, their, their thrones and you depose them. You're the one who is Lord and King of all the earth. And so we ask that you would be gracious in your sovereign hand, 
that you would put and establish godly rulers over our state, over our municipalities, over our country, and that your, these men and women who you put in place would be wise, be humble, recognize uh, their, their limited nature of their power, and that they would use it in a way that brings glory to your name. Lord, only you can do that. And so we ask that you would, by your grace and mercy, do that. And Lord, help us as a people be wise and humble in who we elect and call to these positions. And Lord, that we would not put our trust in princes, but that we would put our trust in you, the living God. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for the needs of our church. Uh, uh, You know her needs. You died for her. Uh, Lord, provide, provide uh, our physical needs. We thank you for the space that we have to worship. We thank you for uh, Town Hall. We pray that even as we worship here, that we would be a blessing to Town Hall and a blessing to the, the town of West Hartford. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be burdened with the community, with reaching out to the lost and sharing the gospel. I pray that we would be a light and a witness in this, in this town. And Lord, we ask uh, that you would provide um, for us the means to minister to those who are in need. Uh, Lord, I thank you for those who have been nominated for deacon and elder, and I pray that you would be working in their hearts to discern your call on their life and that you would be working uh, in the heart of our church to help them in confirming or not that call. But Lord, I do ask that you would raise up leaders in our church, elders and deacons, those who would willingly lay their lives down for your church. Uh, But Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you have given already to your church. And I pray for our elders. I ask that you would encourage and strengthen them as they seek to be faithful, not only to the ministry here at CCPC, but faithful in their families. Lord, I pray for uh, uh, the ministry that we have committed to in Hartford, to Hands on Hartford. Thank you for uh, just the opportunity that we have to serve. And I ask that you would give us a heart of service as a church, that we would uh, see it as part of who you've made us to be as those who go out and and minister to the poor and the hungry. And Lord, I thank you for the way in which uh, you gift your church. I pray that you would continue to give us uh, that desire, that that burden. Uh, Lord, I thank you uh, for our missionaries. I pray particularly for the Grottens as they prepare to go to Chile. I ask that you would provide for their needs. Lord, they are so close. Um, And we want to see them doing the work that you have called them to. And so, Lord, provide for all their financial needs. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who does provide, that you have the storehouses of heaven at your disposal. Uh, Lord, you've also called us as churches, as people, as your hands and feet to to be the, the conduit of those things. So, Lord, help us as a church to be burdened. Uh, with these needs. And uh, I just thank you for the Grottens and their desire. But we pray for all our missionaries uh, that you would work 
uh, through them, that you would provide for them, that you would strengthen them in their work. Pray particularly for our daughter church, uh, for Joe and Kelly and their family as they um, minister up in Suffield. I thank you for the partnership of ministry across our denomination, across this presbytery, but pray particularly for Joe. I, I thank you for his faithfulness and his faithful service, and as they worship this morning, I pray that you would do a mighty work of your spirit uh, in that place. Lord, I thank you for uh, your grace to us. Thank you for the way in which you do provide for all our needs, but particularly you provide for us salvation through your Son, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, we pray all... Well, we are continuing our study in Deuteronomy. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 6 again, verses 10 to 25. Uh, We are continuing on the second, or on the first commandments, our second week on the first commandment. And the first commandment is, uh, have no other gods but me. Have no other gods before me. Have nobody in that place before me. Uh, And so we're, we're continuing to look at that commandment. And we're going to be looking at it in chapter 6 here in verses 10 to 25. So with that, let's read God's Word. It's found for you in your bulletins. You can follow along Deuteronomy 6. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, in your your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you did, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded commanded you? Uh, Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before your eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he commanded us. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for uh, the commandments 
that you give us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who perfectly obeyed them. Lord, help us to know these truths and to understand your gospel more clearly. Help me uh, to be faithful to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, um, I mentioned that I was forgetful uh, and how this played out in my school life in very unfortunate ways. And I was sure that I took a few years off of my mom's life uh, over some of the things that I would do. Um, But as I've grown older and reflected on my struggle to remember things, I've had to come to terms with something, with the darker side of my forgetfulness. Uh, Certainly, sometimes forgetting is innocent, right? Sometimes you just forget. Um, And that's fine. We're all human. We all forget things sometimes. But more often than not, and more often than I would like to admit, to my shame, my failure to remember is symptomatic of a deep selfishness. And of course, over the years, this has come to light. Within the context of my marriage, maybe some of you can relate to this. Um, maybe it was just that last-minute birthday present, you know, the, uh, the not thoughtful one. Um, maybe it was forgetting to do those easy household projects that are always present. Oh, I just forgot. I just forgot. Um, or maybe it was uh, just forgetting to call when I said I would, right? I, I, I just not letting... Aaron, no, when I'm going to be home. Those things are forgetful in one sense, but they're also signs of a deep selfishness on another level. You see, more often than not, more often than I'd like to admit, I conveniently forget things. Not simply because I'm human, but because I tend to take relationships for granted, right? Just assume the relationship and you can easily take advantage of these things. And I would say it's not that I don't care, because sometimes that's how it's framed, right? Uh, Rob, if you cared, you wouldn't forget. And I'm not, this is not a criticism against my wife. This is, I think, really an honest reflection. I hope hope I'm sharing my shame alone. Um, But it's not that I don't care. I think... I think that's not it. The problem is I care too much about myself and not about the other person. Am I the only one? Maybe I'm the only husband that is like this. <laughs> okay, did I get an amen? That's why I just need one. There we go. Okay, all right. I'm not alone. Um, and, and it's particularly a problem that we have with our primary relationship with the Lord, with God. We forget his commands, we forget his deeds, and most significantly, I think we forget his love. We forget his deep love. And our forgetfulness is born out of the same thing. It's, it's a taking for granted God, and it's a caring more for myself and my concerns than for his. It's our problem. Our text this morning is a call Not to forget, but to remember. It's a call to remember the Lord. And particularly, it's a call to remember His love. 
And this has been a theme of the study of Deuteronomy over and over again, so it's, it's just something we've already touched on, but remembering the Lord. But this morning I want to think particularly about remembering the love of God who is jealous for us. We'll unpack that word jealous. It may have negative connotations, but we will. Um, but at the very least, we can say his love is not indifferent And I want to consider this call to remember, to remember the jealous love of God in three parts this this morning. First, I want us to remember the extravagance of God's love, the extravagance of God's love. Secondly, I want to remember that our Lord loves us with this jealous love. We'll kind of unpack that term. And then thirdly, I want us to remember the power of the Lord's love in redemption. The power of the Lord's love in redemption will end there. So first, remember the extravagance of God's love. The text begins with this little poem, and I call it a poem because in the Hebrew it kind of has a poetic flair to it, Um, uh, and it goes like this. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great care, uh, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, a house full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's interesting that it ends with that little reminder, right? That we could say this whole text is about the Lord reminding us. And it ends with this little reminder about how the Lord brought them up out of Egypt. And he'll return to this theme at the end of our passage. Um, but here, I think it's kind of interesting that he puts it right up against that little poem. The houses that you did not build, etc. And maybe it was to draw out or to help them to bring to mind the horrors of slavery in Egypt. You, had, you lived in great and not good cities, but wicked cities that you helped to build, which bricks were made by you, right? That was the nature of uh, their slavery. With houses full of good things, and maybe you had those good things, but remember, Pharaoh tried to take them away. I'm going to take your firstborn. Remember that? So good things that were taken away, namely your own children. With cisterns that you likely dug. We don't know if they dug cisterns or not. But likely they didn't enjoy the benefits of those things. With vineyards and olive trees that you likely tended but didn't enjoy. Where you ate and were never full. It's kind of like the flip side, right? Like life in Egypt, everything was hard. I brought you out of that and gave you things that you didn't produce yourself. The whole thrust of this little section was to highlight the extravagant provision of the Lord for his people. But there's something about this kind of provision, material goods, that is, that can numb the mind. And, and it's not because material goods are inherently bad, but these things are blessings. They're from the hand of the Lord. The problem is our hearts, isn't it? It's our hearts. Notice here where Moses says, and when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord. Why do we forget the Lord who provides for us? I think it's because we begin to assume that the things we have, the people that we are, is deserved, that we've earned it. Uh, in fact, 
Uh, when things go wrong in life, we'll use these words. What did I do to deserve this? Right? That's the other side of the coin. We never say, on the one hand, we never say when we get something good, when, when we receive blessing from the Lord, maybe not never, we don't frequently say something, what did I do to deserve this? In the most positive sense. Maybe, maybe when you're, when you're standing at the altar and your spouse is there, you might say, what in the world did I do to deserve her or him? Maybe when a child is born and you're holding that little infant in your arms, you might say, what in the world did I do to deserve this? But the vast majority of time in our life, we think, I deserve this. I deserve it. And I think it's part and parcel to be an American too, right? We, we, we assume that it's because of our, our pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're, we're, we're very much a self-made people. That's just part of our identity as Americans. And I think we feel this way partly too because we actually do do stuff, right? You, you may work 40 to 60 hours a week uh, and you might work really hard and you know, you may have been frugal and you give ourselves, we start to push out thoughts of God as our provider. We did it. We deserve it. We worked hard. This is our just reward. This is our just dessert. And we're a little bit like the Israelites. After all, remember, we could read a text like this and say, oh, the Lord took them and plopped them, uh, you know, took them out of Egypt and plopped them. But they kind of worked hard. They walked around for 40 years through the wilderness. They deserve a little something for that, Right. You know, they, they were, when they go into the land, finally, they go into the land and, and they are given these houses that they did not build. They actually have to follow Joshua and go on a military campaign. There is something that they do. It's, it's not without work involved. And yet, and yet, all of it. Every little bit of it for Israel, as it is for us, comes from the hand of God. The, the, this song kept popping into my head as I was, uh, this is, I don't even think it dates me. I think it predates me, but it somehow got stuck in my head at some point as a child. It reminds me of that old McDonald's jingle, very old. You deserve a break today, so get up and get away to me. No, nobody? Is that really old, right? <laughs> Only people over a certain age. Yeah, remember that jingle. But I, I think that's our mentality. We, des- we deserve the things that we get. But we're forgetful. Where would Israel be? Where would Israel be if it wasn't for God? Where would we be? You see, everything that we have, everything that we are, every bit and part of ourselves is a gift. And a gift that was born out of the love of God for Israel. He he brought them out of Egypt on eagles' wings. He bore them. He carried them. It was a gift. He loved them because he loved them, not because they were particularly lovable. In fact, they were very unlovable. And they only persist to be unlovable. And yet he loves them. His love is a gift. And if a gift 
is deserved, it's not a gift. It's a payment. Everything that we have, everything that we are, comes from God. Did you miss the extravagance of the provisions of God in your life? Have you, have you thought about it? Just stop for a minute and think about all the extravagant provisions of God in your life. Our very life and breath is from God. He made us. He gave us who made us who we are, our very constitution, our personalities. He gave us our opportunities and our abilities. He's given us our strength and our health. health. He has given us our minds. In fact, everything, everything about us is from God. Not only that, but as his people, he protects us. He protects us from evil from without, and he protects us from the evil that is within us. He doesn't allow us to follow our foolish proclivities and propensities. And everything that he permits to happen in our life, suffering itself for his people, is a gift. He says this in Romans 8. He says, all things work together, right? All, all things work together for our good. And so while we don't always understand it and we're struggling to comprehend why is this thing happening to me, uh, even those sufferings are a gift. There is nothing we have that is not from his hand. And what is from his hand is extravagance. It's born out of love for us. What's the call for us to be vigilant Recount often, think about God's provision in our life. Remember the Lord in both plenty and in want. Right? It's easy to forget. We all do. In plenty, we just think it's about us, and in want, we blame God, or we, we think we deserve better. But remembering that God is the one who provides all things, and that life and breath and eternal life through His Son is a gift. Be vigilant. Recount often. Remember the extravagant love of God. And secondly, remember that our Lord loves us with a jealous love. This idea of God being jealous might seem a little strange if you haven't read that before. Is it right that God has jealousy? Maybe you've never wrestled with this thought, but Scripture actually, we've repeated it over and over again in the, in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, it's in the Ten Commandments. The Lord is a jealous God. And I think part of the problem is that oftentimes the way we use the word jealous or jealousy is sort of singular, one way. We use it in terms of being jealous of something we don't have that does not belong to us, sort of covetousness or envy. That's how we use jealousy most of the time. You know, I'm jealous of my neighbor because they have a bigger house than I do or whatever, what have you. Um, uh, It's amazing to watch kids playing at a very, very young age, but you'll get a group of kids and a bunch of toys. There could be thousands of toys, and one kid will grab one toy, and all of a sudden, it's like the the envy jealousy radar just goes off, and all the other kids, it's like, that, I want that one, right? But we're really no different. It's like the same concept of keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, they got a new car. I'm going to get a new car. But that's one kind of jealousy. And it's sometimes how we think about it. 
But I think there's another kind of jealousy. The word can also mean highly protective of one's own. Someone might be jealous, for example, of their rights or their freedoms. In the U.S., I would say that as U.S. citizens, we're generally very jealous, if you will, of our freedom of speech. Right? That's something we would go to war for. Uh, We're jealous of that. We're also jealous, I would say, especially as Christians, of our freedom of religion. Right? Those are things I think in U.S. consciousness we would say that's, that's good jealousy. Um, if I had a theological truth that I have one that I just, I got like, when I, when I feel like it's being threatened, sort of the hackles get up on the back of my neck. And that is the, the freedom of conscience. And that may sound strange to you. But I'm protective of my conscience and the conscience of others that it can only and ever be bound by God and his word. Maybe this means nothing to you, but for me, when I preach to you, know that every week I come in here and I think, am I preaching what Rob thinks or am I preaching what God says? And I don't know if I do it faithfully all the time. I try, but I'm always thinking about that. I don't want to bind your consciences beyond the word of God. I'm jealous for that. And when other people try to bind my conscience... The hackles go up. What? You can't tell me. Only the Lord can say those things. Anyway, those are examples of jealousy that I think are good. Another way of thinking about it is a husband or wife can also be jealous in, that, in this sense. Uh, we might be jealous for a time with our spouse or jealous for their affection because it belongs to us. And if we don't have it, there's something wrong, right? Uh, And we're jealous for that thing. That's, I think, another way to think about it. And when Scripture speaks of God being jealous, as it does here in verse 15, it's in this sense of love and care for one's own. It's a protective jealousy that God has. But I think it's important that we note first that he is firstly jealous for himself. Now, if, if any of us were kind of like jealous for ourselves, that would be kind of selfish. But this is God. He alone is God. He alone is King and Lord. And He alone is worthy of worship. So when the world, His creatures, those He's made, turn away from Him and worship false gods, it is an affront to Him. It's a rebellious act. And He's jealous for Himself. I alone am the Lord God, the one and only. And so any failure to do this, to worship God, stirs up his anger and his wrath. All of humanity stands under God's righteous judgment for rebellion against him. So when we read threats, such as are found here in verse 15, when it says, For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from, all, from the face of the earth. It can sound really harsh, it can sound extreme, but when we start to put it in perspective that the living God of heaven and earth has said, I alone am God, and we turn away from him and reject him and understand that he is jealous for himself as the one who is creator. You can understand it. But he is not just jealous in this sense of for himself. He is also protective of the covenantal relationship As God's people, Israel belongs to him and he belongs to them. He is their God and they are his people. They are bound together by a covenantal bond. Just as a husband is jealous for his wife and a wife is jealous for her husband, so it is with God and his people. 
And at the heart of this bond between God and his people is this. You could even call it the glue. It's the steadfast love of the Lord. And the love of God's people is bound up in obedience to his commands. It's it's sort of part and parcel to the relationship. So that's why over and over again here in our text, we see how God calls his people to listen and obey. Because it's a, it's a signpost. It's, a, it's not just, it's more than a signpost. It is the effect of that covenantal relationship that we would follow him, that we would obey his commands, that we would sit in the blessing of the Lord in that sense under his law. And, and maybe this is a bit counterintuitive. And I've been trying to drive this home over the past couple of weeks, and I don't know that I've done a very good job of it. So I want to say it again. The law of the Lord is not something as a, simply as a bar to measure our love. I, I think it functions that way a little bit, but I don't think that's its main point. The law of the Lord is the love of God manifest in the way of life. Say that again. The law of the Lord is the love of God manifest in the way of life. It is God's grace to us, his provision for us. It is his way to say, do you want to know what life looks like? Do you want to know what it means to live in the blessing of covenantal relationship, of being, being my people and I being your God? Do you want to know what it looks like? My commandments. And we see this in the text over and over again. It says, do these things that it may go well with you that you might go into the land and by that enjoy all the virtue of the land. And he says in verse 24, he says, this is for our good always. These things, this way, this path, this obedience is for our good always. And then he says, it will be righteousness for us. It's the the way of God, the blessing of life. The problem is, and here's the the real conundrum, is that Israel is unfaithful and doesn't love God over and over again. And that's true of us too, isn't it? This way of life that God graciously paints for us in his word and shows us and says, rest in me, come with me, follow me, obey me, I will give you life. We go, I'm going this way. No, I'm going this way. No, I'm turning around. We constantly turn away and rebel, and yet, what do we make of this? We we bring pain into our life. But here's the, the hope. That though we are unfaithful, God is faithful. God is faithful to his covenant promises. God is faithful to the relationship. God has unfailing, jealous love for us. And this is where I want to close. Remember the power of the Lord's love in redemption. I think one of the hardest things to read in the Old Testament is the constant failure of Israel. Over and over again, right? All right, I bought you, I redeemed you, I brought you out of Egypt, I'm bringing you into the promised land. And within days of them wandering through, the, watching the power of God split the Red Sea and, and the people of God going through it and the Pharaoh and his army being destroyed in it, within days of that, they come to a place in the desert where there's no water and they immediately start to grumble and complain. They are ready to bring a case against God and Moses. 
They finally, they get to Sinai. God provides them water, provides them all that they need, food. They get to Sinai. God graciously gives covenant to them, speaks from the mountain, all of that. And within days, literally 40 days, they are worshiping at the foot of a golden calf. Not the living God. God doesn't wipe them out. He persists. He says, I will go with you. I will be your God. And they enjoy fellowship once again. The covenant is renewed. And then they go through this whole thing again. They come to the promised land, the edge of it. They send the spies in. They say, God says, I'm giving this beautiful land to you. And the spies come back and say, no, God can't do that. He's brought us here to die. Do you see that? That constant theme over and over and over again. And the thing is... The thing is, it's hard for us to read this because it reflects our own hearts, our own experience. God over and over again showing his mercy and his grace and over and over again, over and over and over and over again, we rebel. We turn away. We seek our own glory. We follow other gods. We forget him. We forget all his extravagant provisions. But here's the good news. The thing we ought to tell our children about, that we ought to remind ourselves of daily, is that our jealous God loves us with such a love that he redeems us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You see, the people of God were slaves in Egypt. They were under the false god of Pharaoh and the might of his whole army. But it was nothing, nothing compared to the hand of God, to the power of God. The Lord brought them up out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He brought them through the wilderness. And here they were on the precipice of the promised land. And he says, I'm giving this to you. And you're going to be in houses you didn't build. And you're going to enjoy all the fruit of the land. And I'm going to be your God. And you are going to be my people. What an amazing story. Amazing redemptive story. But it just doesn't compare. Does not compare to the redemption that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. How much more amazing is the God who would show his power on the cross to redeem rebellious, broken-hearted sinners like you and me. You see... The wrath of God was against us, but God turned that wrath towards his son who willingly laid down his life. Why? Because of that extravagant, jealous love. He said, you're an unfaithful people, but I will be your faithful God. I will love you until the end of time you will be mine. Even if it means... Die for you. What keeps our hearts from wandering? Remembering the power of our loving Lord. Who bought us, not from some physical king in Egypt, but who brought us and bought us from sin and death and has given us life And life eternal, that's the promise of the gospel. And he did it by laying down his life for ours. 
That is the extravagant, jealous love of God. For us, everything that we need. That despite our unfaithfulness, He is faithful. So what do we do? We remember that love. We fix our hearts and minds on Him. We rest in His perfect obedience. And we run after Him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And we tell this to our children. And we tell this to our children's children. And we tell this to our neighbor's children. And we tell this out there beyond the walls. We go out and proclaim the good news. That's what we're called to. Tell out my soul. Sing out my soul. Let us be jealous for the love of God. Let us be jealous in proclaiming it. Telling the world about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we confess to you that we are a faithless people that we wander from your way, that even though you offer us life through obedience to your word, that there is no hope apart from Christ, but that because of what Christ has done and the perfect obedience to you, we can have life. Lord, remind us of that hope. And Lord, by your spirit, help us to walk, to walk in faithfulness, to walk in the way of life, that we would see it as a blessing. But Lord, thank you that you're a jealous God, jealous for your glory, jealous for your people. We thank you that you loved us with that fierce love. We thank you for the death of Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.